May it please the listeners. My name is Rich Schoenstein, and this is Law Brief. I am joined this week by my colleague, Sean Scuderi from our real estate and construction department. Hey, Sean, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Rich. Thank you for being here. We're going to talk about some recent development in New York law in the area of mechanics liens. So let's start off because we get a broad range of listeners to this podcast, and a lot of them will have some experience with the mechanics lien, but some won't. So what is a mechanics lien? So I'll start by saying you could probably take a whole career to master the lien law, but I'll, I'll give you mechanics lien 101 to help with our discussion today. Uh, the, the lien law was designed to protect contractors and design professionals from non-payment when they're working on uh, various construction projects or renovations. So they have the option, if they're not paid, to file a mechanics lien against real property to protect their interest in the amount that they're owed. The impact of the mechanics lien is it clouds title to the property. So the owner, after the fact, is going to have a very difficult time trying to sell or even refinance their property with a pending mechanics lien. Let me put that in, in, in sort of real life terms for a second. That means that somebody who's doing construction work on your home by way of example and doesn't get paid can put a lien on your home so that you can't sell it or anything without them getting paid. That's absolutely correct. The time frame on that too, so people are aware they're, they're very limited. So it's for a single family residential home, it's four months from the last date of service you can file a lien. For all other private projects, you have eight months. And you know, when you're getting back and forth with an owner and a contractor or a consultant trying to get paid, though, that time frame moves real fast. So it's important for contractors to be uh, very aware of these dates uh, to protect their interests. And I guess the reason for that is you don't want people coming out of the woodwork on a construction project, you know, two years down the road saying I'm owed money. Absolutely. And the, what a lien lo- looks like as well, it identifies uh, certain important information. The, the property address identifies the owner. If it's a subcontract, it'll also identify who they contracted with, the amount they contracted for, and the amount that's outstanding. And on top of that, what we'll get into more later is they have to specify what types of services they did. Were they a painter, electrician, general contractor, engineer? That all has to be specified right on the face of the lien so that it's very abundantly clear to the owner and anybody who receives notice what they are filing their lien for. And the liens are matter of public record sort of by definition so that any bank doing a financing or anyone interested in buying the property would be able very easily to find the lien. That's correct. That's the whole, that's the whole point. That's right. It's filed with the county clerk. It's right on the property records right there. It's easily accessible uh, when running a title report. So tell us now about this recent development in New York law with respect to pre-construction services. So the way the lien law is, is defined, it allows a contractor to file a lien if it performed labor or furnished materials for the permanent improvement of real property. So we say, well, what does that encompass? Looking at the actual text of the lien law, it's any demolition, erection, alteration, or repair of any structure on a property, as well as the furnishment of materials. The courts have always looked at the lien law in a very liberal light. 
meaning anything really tangentially related to uh, the improvement of property has been deemed a valid basis for a mechanics lien. But what we recognize in, in a recent case is that it doesn't specify anything with regards to planning, bidding, or these pre-construction management services. Before a contractor puts a shovel into the ground, there's a lot of work behind the scenes before a project can really move forward. It could be months or even years of meetings with zoning boards, performing what's called a constructability analysis, which is reviewing architectural plans to see if it can really be built as the architect is requesting it be designed for. This is really, you're talking about planning and development work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And does this include like an architect just making plans for a building? So that, that's an exception. Uh, what the lien law provides is, and there's a carve out because an architect, an engineer, right, they're not performing labor, they're not furnishing materials. The lien law allows an architect or engineer to lien for the preparation of plans or drawings to protect them as well. You know, there's certainly instances where an owner may engage an architect, move forward with plans, go back and forth uh, for a long time with redesigns, not, not to perform the actual project. The lien law wants to protect those, those consultants as well. So that leads us to the case that, that we recently handled. Along with uh, my colleague, David Pfeffer, uh, the head of our construction group, a client approached us about a mechanics lien that they received in the amount of $250,000, no, no chump change. Their situation was they engaged a construction manager to help with things like I just discussed, bidding, constructability analysis, uh, participating in zoning meetings, uh, meetings with local jurisdictions about how to redevelop a property that they own. They ultimately decided not to move forward with the project, leaving this construction manager very upset <laughs> that they couldn't uh, proceed forward and with claims of in excess of $250,000 and what they deemed were pre-construction management services. They filed their lien and that's exactly how they described it was pre-construction management services. So to back up a bit, when a lien gets filed on a property, an owner has a few different options. They can obviously try to settle and resolve the lien with the, the filing party. They can bond it, which means that they, they acquire a bond from a, a bonding or insurance surety company to attach to the lien. What this means is that the lien is no longer clouding title and it's attached to this bond. So the contractor is still protected because there's a pool of money to go after. And the owner is now protected that he can do as he pleases with his property, sell it, refinance, and not have to worry about the lien. But he still has to worry about those claims. The other option is to move to discharge lien. So what it means to move to discharge a lien is an owner has an option to commence a summary proceeding, a fast-moving litigation where you brought on by order to show cause, where you can be before a judge in anywhere between 30 to 60 days. When you're moving to discharge a lien, you really are saying that the lien is invalid and defective on its face. So if you're disputing the amount in the lien, that's not necessarily a reason to move to discharge because there may be issues of fact. But what you can move on is whether it was untimely or in this situation, it's based on a scope of services that does not form a valid basis for a lien. So we moved on behalf meaning, of this. Well, hold on, hold on, Sean. Meaning, meaning if the lien wasn't appropriately issued because the kind of work doesn't qualify for a lien. That's exactly correct. Okay. So up until this point, uh, the, the history on the case on this is very scarce. 
There, there's cases out there that deal with whether you can move to file a lien for landscaping services or security related to uh, construction of a project, but nobody really challenged, at least not for 100 years, whether you can file a lien based purely on pre-construction management services. And to be clear, we're talking about New York law right now, right? Correct. This whole discussion has to do with uh, the New York lien law. Okay. So it, it makes sense to, to take this shot and challenge it, because if you look at the face of the lien law we discussed earlier, it's labor or furnishment of materials for the permanent improvement. If you're doing planning, you're working on scheduling, bidding, what permanent improvement are you necessarily doing? It may be for the owner's benefit, but at the end of the day, is the real property improved in any way? So we raised these, these arguments with the lower court in Westchester County, and the judge gave a, a very unclear decision that some of the services may have been lienable while others aren't and felt it was an issue of fact. We brought this up to the, the second department, and we finally got what we were looking for as a bright line rule. Because the cases that, that are out there from about 100 years ago really just looked at specific fact patterns and addressed items such as, is negotiation of contracts with subcontractors lienable or not? Which it's not. But it didn't set forth a bright line rule and give guidance to future owners and contractors on what may form the valid basis of a lien for these pre-construction services. So uh, help us out now. What is the new bright line rule? It's very clear and it's very limited. You can only file a lien based on pre-construction services if those services include the preparation of plans and drawings by an architect or engineer. That's it. So this wipes out a lot of rights of construction managers, owners, reps, and general contractors for all of those pre-construction services that they previously leaned for. And what would they do instead of getting a lien? Well, you still have many other options aside from just filing your lien. In most situations, you have a written contract. You can proceed on your breach of contract claim, which you have you know, six years rather than the four or eight months to file your lien. The other options are maybe in quantum merit, so these quasi-contract type of causes of action where you don't have a written contract in play. Account stated if you were sending invoices and they weren't paid or objected to in a timely fashion. So it doesn't completely extinguish all of the rights of the, the leaning party, but they lose out on this leverage of being able to file the mechanics lien that clouds title. And we didn't discuss it earlier, but when you have a mechanics lien, you can actually bring a foreclosure action to force the sale of the property to satisfy your lien. So to put it another way, it doesn't change the rights, the claim that any of these service providers have it affects a important procedural mechanism where they can secure that claim and help propel payment. That's absolutely correct. You can no longer secure it on the property or the bond if it's bonded, and you don't have that strong leverage of tying up title to the property, which always forces the owner to to take this seriously rather than be able to push it off. Right. As a, as a general matter in litigation, it's one thing to file a claim for money damages, which can be a slow road. It's another thing to file a claim where you have some sort of immediate security that you can leverage or some other leverage you can apply to the situation. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. A thousand times out of a thousand, you want to be in that second position. Okay. All right. What else should we know about this? 
really the impact and, and importance of this is that owners should really understand what can and cannot be lienable so that they have these rights to try to discharge it when it is invalid on its face and it's based purely on, on pre-construction management services. The biggest takeaway for contractors and construction managers is that there's a concept called willful exaggeration of lien. When you're filing a mechanics lien, it's got to be to the penny what you're owed. If you have an amount in excess of that, that you intentionally put in to exaggerate the lien, and you know, you're, you're running out of risk now, if you know that pre-construction management services are not permitted to be included, your lien can be wiped out completely, and you can be facing damages yourself to the owner. In those situations, you face liability of the owner's attorney's fees, damages in the amount that you've exaggerated the lien. So for example, if you're owed $10,000 for work on a project and you filed a lien for $30,000, you could be on the hook to pay the owner the $20,000 if you exaggerated this lien. And then the, the final item is if the owner bonded it, you can be on the hook for premiums. So there's significant repercussions if you don't understand truly what you can file your lien on and what is a valid basis. Um, so that's why it's very important to understand this new bright line rule and clarification we received from the, the appellate department. Okay, so one more question. You said this is a decision of the second department. New York is organized into four judicial departments and they don't always view every legal issue eye to eye. Do we know if this rule will be applicable in the first, third and fourth departments? As of the date of this podcast, we, we double checked the research there hasn't been any uh, decisions in the first, third, or fourth that have cited to this yet. However, there's no decisions in those departments really on point addressing this issue of pre-construction management services. And if you look at that decision from the second department, it's less of them creating this new rule than clarifying what's already in the lien law. Because we, we discussed that there was this carve-out for architects and engineers to file a lien based upon their preparation of, of plans and drawings. And what the second department said is that that's the only statement in the lien law that allows for pre-construction management services. So with all that said, we, we do strongly believe that the first, third, and fourth departments would certainly find this decision persuasive when faced with this issue. All right. Well, that makes sense. So Sean, tell us a little bit about your practice and what you do at the firm. So as, as a member of the, the construction group, our client base is mostly developers, uh, owners, which range from institutional clients, high net worth individuals, and even non-for-profits, as well as contractors, construction managers, and, and design professionals, really most uh, areas within construction. I regularly assist with the drafting and negotiation of construction and design agreements for various projects, both in New York and in some uh, jurisdictions across the country as well. And after that, we provide a lot of general counseling with ongoing projects. We're very hands-on during the COVID pandemic shutdown, helping clients manage increasing costs and delays and impacts on their schedule. We'll assist with any disputes with their consultants or contractors on site, whether it's with regard to change orders, delays, mechanics liens like we discussed today. Another part of my practice is, is dealing with neighbors. For those of you in New York City, you know buildings are right on top of each other. There is no, no gap or alleyways between them. And the, the building code in New York City requires protecting neighboring properties when you're building up. So we, we help out 
both on behalf of the developing party and neighbors in negotiating these access agreements for the protections required and any uh, reasonable compensation. And finally, I'm, I'm really a litigator uh, by trade. I started my career doing 100% litigation. So we handle a wide array of disputes uh, relating to real estate and construction, again, having to do with delays, uh, property damage, design and construction defects, disputes between partners, uh, really anything in the industry. Well, I knew that last part, Sean, because you and I have had the pleasure of litigating some cases together. And I can say to our audience, Sean's a guy you want on your side. Uh, (laughs) I I appreciate it. Thank you for bringing this topic to us today. At the end of our episodes, we offer a closing argument. And maybe you want to do it this way. What's a takeaway for contractors and what's a takeaway for owners? The takeaway for owners is when you get those mechanics liens, very carefully look at what types of services are are being provided. Because as you know now from listening to this podcast is that a number of these services uh, in the pre-construction phase are not lienable. So you'll have the opportunity to discharge those either completely or in part to to really help protect your rights and, and make sure that title is clear on your property. For contractors and construction managers, it's very important you understand what you can lean for and what you can't to avoid that dreaded, wrongful exaggeration claim of your lien and subject yourself to damages when really you were in the position of not being paid in the first place. All right. Well, those sound like pretty good suggestions to me. Thanks again, Sean, and thanks everybody for listening. Rich, thanks for having me. Thank you again for listening to Law Brief. Now here's something lawyerly, a disclaimer. We are not your lawyers. We do not have an attorney-client relationship, and this podcast does not constitute legal advice. If you need legal advice, you should contact and engage counsel of your own choosing who can best address your own situation and particular needs. You can find more information about our law firm, me, and many of our guests at our website, www.tartarkrinsky.com. We are a mid-size, full-service firm located in New York City and New Jersey. If you want to contact us for any reason, be it comments, topic ideas, or anything else, you can email us at podcast at tartarkrinsky.com. You can also follow this podcast on iTunes, among other places, and we would very much appreciate it if you rate or review us. I'm Rich Schoenstein, and this was Law Brief. <laughs>